Open your Bibles now to the book of Exodus, chapter 20. We're going to read the Ten Commandments up until the ninth one. And remember the context and the other commandments we've already considered, if you've been following. <clears throat> so we'll begin at verse 1 and read through the ninth commandment, which is verse 16. <clears throat> and God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. This is the word of the Lord. As we've been looking at the Ten Commandments, we've been doing so remembering the purpose of God giving us his law. One of the main reasons he does is to reveal to us his nature, his will, which is that we who are made in the image of God will reflect that nature, that divine nature, and that we will live the way the Lord God created us to live, which is to keep the law of God. We cannot be saved by keeping the law of God. If you're someone who maybe used to or, or maybe still is striving to be good enough to get to heaven, you are going down the wrong path. The right path is to cast yourself upon Christ, recognizing that though God wants you to keep his law, we're going to be judged by that law and someone's going to have to pay the penalty for our breaking all of God's commandments. And we do break them all. It's either going to be you and me 
paying for our own failures and sins, or someone else is going to have to do it for us. Someone else is going to have to pay the penalty. And God in his mercy and grace has sent someone else. I say someone with a capital S. He sent his own son who did keep the law perfectly in our place. And his perfect righteousness is imputed to us when we place our faith in Christ, when we give him our sin and guilt and trust him to be our savior, he in turn forgives our sin and we are treated as we read from Isaiah, our sins are as white as snow, no matter how dark and severe our sins have been. And let's agree together, I trust, we sin a whole lot more than we even realize. But as we grow in Christ, we become more and more obedient to those commands. And we find out, lo and behold, keeping God's commandments is a way of blessing. We don't keep them in order to be saved. We keep them because we are saved. And we strive to please God by keeping them. Now, as we look at these commandments, you probably noticed already, and even as we read through Colossians a while ago, you noticed how interconnected all of these commandments are. In other words, if you break one of those commandments, there's probably other commandments that were a part of that particular breaking of that commandment. And we even saw, looking ahead to the next time when we look at the 10th commandment, in Colossians 3, Paul ties two of them together. He says covetousness is idolatry. And so he's connecting the beginning of the Ten Commandments with the end of the Ten Commandments. Covetousness, which again, we'll see that next time. So, I like what uh, Jen Wilkin says about three of these commandments, the three that we just looked at in the last few weeks. Commandments 6 through 8. <clears throat> where the Lord talks about uh, not, uh, verse 6, uh, being careful about uh, your life before the Lord. Don't take anything that is your neighbor's. Jen Wilkin put it this way. Commandments 6 through 8 say this. Don't take your neighbor's life, wife, or stuff. Commandments 6 through 8. You have to look at those and see what they are. Don't take your neighbor's life, your, his wife, or your, his stuff. And now we come to the ninth commandment. It says, don't take your neighbor's good name. How can you know when someone lies? Now, God knows. But haven't you found yourself in a position where you've heard somebody talking where you say, I wonder if what he's saying is really true. It sounds to me the very opposite of what I understood the situation to be. And so you kind of wrestle with that, but you don't really know for sure. Well, there's a way to find out, you know, the lie detector. Polygraph. So in legal situations, people can submit themselves to a polygraph test. And supposedly, 
it can take all these measurements uh, from you, uh, your heartbeat, your, all this stuff, maybe how much you sweat, I don't know. And it can determine that you are going against what you're saying, that you're not telling the truth. Well, I don't know about you, but I have a little reservation about how accurate something like that can be. And as I understand it, that's not even admissible in court. But anyway, there is an ultimate lie detector, of course, and that's the Lord. And you and I are called upon to, to use our words in such a way that God sees that we are telling the truth. In particular, in this context, we're going to see that it has to do with legal uh, testimony. And that's why the commandment is worded the way it is. Uh, two authors wrote about 30 years ago a book with a great title, The Day America Told the Truth. These two authors, Patterson and Kim, found that 91% of us lie. Well, of course, that's not correct. 100% of us lie. But what they were doing is reporting on, on uh, polls that they had taken, questionnaires that Americans across the country had taken. And the book was the result of what, how they live their lives. I trust that it was an anonymous uh, survey. But in, in that result, 91% of the people admitted that they lied. They told the truth that they lied. And that's the title of the book. 91% of us lie regularly. That's what they were saying. So it raises some important questions. First of all, what is the truth? A lot of people don't know the answer to that. And they live confused lives as a result. It's, is it always best to tell the truth? Is it always best to tell the truth? You know, like when you come to church and you talk to some guy and you find yourself saying, boy, Fred, that is an ugly time. Do we always have to tell the truth? Something to think about. How can we learn to tell the truth and get others to be truthful? Well, notice here how we've broken this down in your outline. I just used three questions here. How can we give false testimony, first of all? Well, we can give it uh, formally, formally, like in a court of law, in a legal situation. And that's what was happening in the context of the Israelites. That was going to be, you know, it was developing as a nation. And as a nation, they had to have laws. And when laws are broken, there had to be justice. And so a lot of people would be called to bear testimony about whether an accusation is true. And so it was directly applicable to, for the Israelites to hear this command, commandment. Sworn court testimony. And we know today that that's still a case and people have to swear 
to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help you God. Now, some people will still lie. I find it very difficult to, to be a witness and to make that swearing of, of telling the truth, to take that lightly and to actually have agreed within myself, I'm not going to tell the truth. And of course, if I'm caught not telling the truth, the crime is perjury. Appropriate. We can give false testimony formally, but we can also give false testimony directly. It's as simple as when a father says, son, did you clean up your room? And the son says, yes. But he didn't. He lied. I mean, that's how simple it can be. But more likely, we, we're a little more clever than that as we grow up. And we learn to break this commandment uh, in a deceiving way. Deceptively. You hear this phrase, maybe you've used it, probably most of us have at some point, telling a little white lie. Is that in the Bible? Right. Corey, it's not. There are no little lies, and white is certainly not the color for uh, a, a, lie, a lie that's uh, acceptable. We ought to just banish that phrase for the sake of telling the truth and accuracy. Now, there are other ways we can lie. Flattery. I'm afraid we probably do that way too much. We see people and maybe we just don't know what else to say. And so we'll say, you know, like the, the ugly tie, we'll say something and um, that's the opposite. And then we'll think that it's an ugly tie, but we'll tell them, oh, you look so good today. Maybe we're just trying to be nice, but really that's not a, a good way to go. Psalm 12, verse 3. May the Lord cut off all flattering lips, the tongue that makes great boasts. You know, we can flatter others and we can flatter ourselves. That's why I'm so disgusted when I see pictures on news items or that aren't really news of people who have taken selfies in front of a mirror and there some of these people are doing it all the time I mean talk about living a self-centered life talk about vanity um, that's definitely a, a problem okay it's going to get worse gossip gossip is telling people about someone that is unsubstantiated Maybe you heard it from someone else and you just assume it's true and you don't bother to verify that and you go off and tell somebody else. Probably because there's some juicy element to it that people in their sinful natures just seem to love to hear. 
And not only being a gossip, but listening to gossip is something we've got to watch out for. If you detect in a conversation that somebody's telling something that as if it was true, but it may not be, you don't need to be a part of that. What if the person you were talking about happened to be present and you didn't know it? Would you say the same things about somebody if they were standing there listening to those words? Probably not. But even more important, of course, is God is there. God is listening to your every word. And God doesn't forget. Slander. The Bible talks about that too. Slander is talk that is intended to harm or even ruin someone else. There are two Greek words I found out uh, that are translated slander uh, in our Bibles and they give away the seriousness of this sin. One of them is diabolos. Diabolos, diabolical. We get that word from that Greek word in our English. The other word is blasphemia, blasphemy. Diabolical, blasphemy. Those aren't two words that you want to be associated with the things that you say, are they? Not if you're a believer. How about misrepresenting the truth? Changing numbers on a financial report to make it look better? Or one that can really hurt, your boss taking credit for the work that you did. I suspect that happens a lot. Blame shifting. You know, it's his fault, not mine, that I did that. Shades of Adam and Eve. The woman you gave me, gave me the fruit and I ate it. William Blake, the poet, said, a truth that's told with bad intent beats all the lies that you can invent. And so we could tell the truth, but in a deceptive way. We don't give the whole story, perhaps. Second question, why is it always wrong to give false testimony? I say always with a little bit of a question there because there are some obvious examples that our common sense should dictate to us when we're, when it, we're really not lying when we say something that's not true. Perhaps at a birthday party, everybody's in a lighthearted mood, and uh, if it's a birthday party for somebody that just turned uh, 75 years old, and somebody says, Joe, you, do, you look like you're not a day over 40. Well, he's not telling the truth, but everybody knows that. It's done in, in jest, it's done in humor. People tell me that I don't look like I'm a day over 85. 
I just chalk it up to having a funny remark like you just did. We must not lie. The main reason we must not lie is because of God's nature. Who is he? Hebrews 6, 19 and many other verses tell us that it is impossible for God to lie. His whole nature is such that it is totally contrary to deceiving people or directly lying to people. Jesus himself, John tells us in John 14, 6, that he is the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through him, through Jesus. Pythagoras, ancient Greek mathematician, was once asked, what it was that made people like God. What is it about people that make them like God? And his answer was, when they speak the truth. One of the ways that we can know that we're advancing in holiness, becoming more like God, becoming, you know, he said, be holy as I am holy. One of those ways is when we become consistent and faithful truth tellers or truthers as some people use that, that word these days. If professing Christians have a reputation for not being reliable in what they say, if they don't always tell the truth or at least lead people to have suspicions that they don't, they're a terrible witness to the reality of God and the power of the gospel. And people will see them and say, oh, that's what Christians are like. They tell me one thing and they do another. These things should not be. So we don't lie because of God's nature, but we also must not lie because of God's command. This is an, a, a heavenly order. <laughs> do not bear false witness not just in a court of law, but in any situation. By the way, I did mention, want to mention one other exception to not telling the truth, an important one, and that is when a biblically greater good is involved. For instance, the Hebrew midwives in Exodus 1, they lied to the Egyptian soldiers by saying that the women who gave birth did so because Hebrew women give birth sooner than Egyptian women. And we couldn't get here in time. The reason that was important was because Pharaoh had ordered that all the male children that are born be killed. So, Rahab was in the same situation. Rahab saved lives by lying to the soldiers in Jericho, saying that uh, the escaped uh, Israelite soldiers were not there, not where she was, when they were. These were the enemies of God. They were in war. And Rahab was doing that for a greater cause than telling the truth to soldiers that were enemies and 
in most people's minds, were not deserving of hearing the truth. Now, those things are quite rare. So we don't need to overemphasize that, okay? We must not lie because God commands us not to. We all have to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Paul says that in 2 Corinthians 5.10, and give an account of the things we have done. And one of those things will be, have you told the truth? Have you lied? And of course, the truth comes out on that judgment day. In Revelation 21.8, this very commandment is mentioned in describing those who do not enter heaven. This is what it says, as soon as I find it. Revelation 21.8. And he said to me, excuse me, but as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Very specific. Lawbreakers, quite a few different ways of breaking the law that are mentioned right there in that one little list, but liars are included in that. It's the law of God. It's the basis upon which we will be judged. And while you may fool others into thinking you are a truther, you cannot and will not deceive God. Suppose we were all like Pinocchio. Geppetto invented Pinocchio to, to uh, do certain things and Pinocchio so it's told, every time he lied, his nose grew longer. Longer and longer and longer. Probably got to the point where it weighed his head down. <laughs> if that was true of me, my nose would go past those doors back there. In God's grace, I'm committed to not deceiving people, to not lie, and I certainly have no intention of telling you anything from this pulpit that is not the truth that is found in the Word of God. No Pinocchios amongst the people of God. That's what we strive for. You know, the Lord says in Psalm 51 that He desires truth in our inward being as well as with our outward words and actions. That's where it all starts. And I'll just mention, we must not lie also because of God's wisdom. God's wisdom. Proverbs 6, verses 16 through 19 is a very powerful passage. It's where God tells us what he hates. What does God hate? Well, there are seven things that are mentioned here in verses 16 through 19. There are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, 
a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness also breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among brothers. You know, there are two or three different times that lying is mentioned there in different ways. And that doesn't mean those are the only thing God's hate, God hates. That's a figure of speech, a, a, a way of expressing things. Uh, when it says six, seven, that same type of thing is used in other parts of the Bible. Three, four, just to make the point. And God hates those. He's got a particular hatred for it, perhaps we could say. But of course, God hates all sin. It's opposed to his very being and character. With the commandments, when we keep the ninth commandment, we are going to be much more likely to improve not only our lives, but the lives of those around us. Sometimes lying seems to be the easy way out, but not at, at the cost of committing a sin. We don't have anything that we're tempted to do where God won't provide a way of escape. 1 Corinthians 10 tells us that. We, a lot of heart, just think of this, how much heartache and loss have resulted from deceit and lies. Broken homes, broken marriages, broken nations. In our foolishness, we want to think we can make things better if we don't tell the truth. And of course, we, we should know better. God's word tells us in Proverbs, it says there is a way that seems right to man, but the end thereof is death. Don't just go by what seems right. Make sure that what you're doing is in alignment with the principles of God's word and the commandments are there. It's sort of a, a, a grid or a guide for us to, to weigh our decisions by. Character assassinations, ruined reputations, all that happens, the fallout from lying. Now, last thing to note here, what must we do to avoid giving false testimony? Just several things there I want you to, to think about. First of all, of course, we need to know the truth. We need to be sure we know what is truth and what is false. What is lying? And how do you know that? Again, we turn to the Word of God. There's our foundation. That's our, that's our book for living. If you're contemplating saying something to someone, make sure that as far as you know, what you're saying is, could be verified. And you're certain, <coughs> excuse me, you're certain that you're, you're dealing with facts. So we must know the truth. It's funny how everybody has become suddenly an expert because they heard someone blab something on Twitter or in a group email and they just pass it on to other people without even bothering to see if it really is the case. If you have doubts about something being true, if you just don't know, don't say anything. Sometimes we just need to keep our mouth closed. 
However, if you hear someone telling others something that you know to be false about another person, that's a time to speak up. Defend that person. Do not allow lies to be spread because of your silence. And we must love the truth. Know the truth, love the truth. Your heart's got to be in it. 2 Thessalonians 2 says that unbelievers did not love the truth to be saved. There are people today who hate the truth. You know that. They hate biblical truth. And that's one reason why they try to silence the communication of that truth in any kind of public way. The day may come when efforts are made to silence us in this very meeting place. What will we do? That's something we need to think about, isn't it? And we must speak the truth. Ephesians 4 verse 25 is really a, a reference to, to this commandment. The Apostle Paul is giving all these exhortations in, to the Ephesians, and he says in verse 25, Therefore, having put away falsehood, that's, that's not what we do as believers in Christ. Put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Put away falsehood, speak truth. George Washington, of course, is famous for the story that I don't think has ever been historically proven. There's a good reason to to doubt whether this actually happened, but people hear it, you know, George Washington is a boy cut down the cherry tree and he was asked, did you cut down the cherry, cherry, tree, cherry tree? And he says, I cannot tell a lie. Well, if he did do that uh, and tried to deny it, he would be in trouble. He says, I can't tell, tell a lie. So yes, I cut down the cherry tree and he probably did pay a price for that which was appropriate, part of discipline. We must speak the truth, and Ephesians 4.15 says we need to speak the truth in love. If you're going to speak the truth to somebody in a touchy situation, maybe, they need to hear it, and prayerfully you've considered speaking to them about it in love as a brother or sister in Christ, be sure you do it in love because that will be a giveaway if you're not. Truth will regulate what we speak. And love will regulate what and how we speak. All right, in John 1, 17, John ties together what we've read in Exodus with what Christ has come to do. The law came through Moses but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ came in grace to keep the law in our place. And when he does that and we trust in him for salvation, he transforms us so that we want to keep God's law. We, we figure out that's wisdom there. Wisdom, keeping that law out of love for the Lord. God's will for you and me is that we speak 
loving wisdom and Christ-honoring truth to those around us. In the little things of life, as well as the big things of life. And how powerful our testimony can be when we who love the truth and seek to live truthfully in all things will shine all the brighter in a darkening world. A world full of deceit and lies and manipulation in all walks of life. The ninth commandment is virtually lost in our day. In our homes, in our places of work, our news media and social media, in science, in education, in politics. Who can you and I trust today? Really trust. We should not expect those who don't know Jesus Christ to always be truthful with us. Some will be, some won't. But we certainly should expect our fellow Christians to speak the truth in love to us and they should expect it, expect the same thing from us. Remember Psalm 58.3, the wicked are estranged from the womb, they go astray from birth speaking lies. Only the power of Christ transforming us can transform us from our lying to our speaking truth. Look at your own life and ask yourself, where am I flattering? Where am I deceiving? Where am I manipulating? Where am I passing on things that really don't need to be passed on and aren't even factual as far as you know? We need to look at ourselves first. Repent of those sins. Seek the forgiveness of Christ, which he will freely grant if we truly turn from those sins. We are called by the great lawgiver to reflect a love for the truth of God. And we are called to live a life of truth. By God's grace, may that be so in your life and in mine. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you provide for us the truth. Jesus said, your word is truth. We're so grateful that we don't have to wonder. We thank you, Lord, that you've spared us from the virtual hopelessness of those who think that truth is evade, evades them and that truth is whatever they want it to be. Lord, give us light. Give us love and enable us, Lord, to keep this ninth commandment for your glory and for the good of all around us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.